Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Pretty good? Good deal. Well, welcome and thanks for coming this morning. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Dan Moore. I'm a veterinarian, just a little country hick veterinarian from Tennessee. So, But uh, I appreciate y'all being here. I promise you what I'm going to share with you today is not your normal stuff. I'm not your everyday normal veterinarian. I used to be. I used to practice conventional, regular veterinary medicine, and uh, but things changed along the way. And I haven't actually practiced conventional medicine since about 92. In fact, I sold my clinics, and I've been going down a more natural path ever since then. So if you hear something today and, and you disagree with it, I hope it's okay that we agree to disagree. Um, don't Just don't throw tomatoes at me or something up here. <laughs> I like to have fun, and I want you to have fun too, and I want to certainly get all your questions answered today. Um, I know that we're going to be talking about some, some subjects that are very, very tough subjects. I mean, insulin resistance and hypothyroidism and Cushing's are expensive diseases. They're awful problems. They just ruin your horse's life, and I'm sure they ruin yours and ruin your pocketbook. Wouldn't you agree? That's some bad stuff. But uh, there are some answers. Uh, There's some easy answers. Uh, We just want to cover a wide variety of things this morning to help you with those situations. And maybe some of the causes of why they occur in the first place. Would that make sense? Absolutely. Um, And then what we can do about them if you already have them. Isn't it incredible how many insulin-resistant, hypothyroid, fat, overweight, crusty-necked, horses we have today. I mean, it, it, isn't it mind-boggling? How many in this room have an insulin-resistant horse that you think you might? Okay, wow, unbelievable. How about hypothyroid? A lot of the same ones. And Cushing's. Okay, any other major diseases like laminitis? Any laminitic horses? Okay, chronic laminitis? Okay. Okay, um, very, very much problems in today's world. Now, why, why is it? Now, why do we have these things? Because we're doing better testing. Because we're doing better testing? That may be a good answer for sure. But Yeah, I mean, why do you think we have these problems? Sweet feet. Sweet feet, that's good. That's real good. Excellent. Yes, we'll talk about that. Yep. A little exercise, yeah. Yeah, that's good. High starch diet. <clears throat> High starch diet. Mm-hmm. Anything else? They live longer. They live longer? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Mine was through the mother. Through the mother. Okay. Genetic type issue. Okay. Okay. Um, I agree with all those. <laughs> no question there. But uh, I think we should probably talk about insulin resistance first. And when we talk about insulin resistance, we should probably kind of throw in some people stuff too. Is that okay? Because <laughs> all you got to do is look around, and most Americans today are, are insulin resistant. I mean, they really are. It's, it's not just a problem in horses. It's a problem in people too. And a lot of it's not our fault. Truthfully, I mean, we do everything we can for our horses. You guys are, I'm sure you wouldn't be in this room if you didn't, you know, love your horses and really, really care for them and want to do the best thing you could possibly do for them. But I do have to blame um, our feed manufacturers for a lot of our problems and a lot of our, a lot of our personal problems as well as our horse as well as our horses' problems. Um, you know, our processing of our foods have changed today. 
you know, it used to be that they just had corn or they just had oats or they had some grain and our soils were better then than they are now. We pretty much depleted our soils of all the nutrition, uh, no question there. And all we're putting back on them is fertilized, which is nothing but nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. And what happened to all those other minerals on that periodic chart that we learned in high school? You know, we're not getting those back on the soil and they're subsequently not getting our foods either. So that's an issue, and we'll talk about that maybe a little bit more in a second. But uh, one thing that, that's really hurting us today is our sugars and uh, our fats, probably the two greatest problems. And some of this may be um, just common knowledge, but I think it's important that we understand that insulin, as is in insulin resistance, is deadly. Insulin itself, I mean, how many diabetics do you know that take insulin that have problems. I mean, they die young usually. I mean, they have, you know, their feet cut off, their toes cut off, uh, circulatory issues, they, they go blind, kidney problems, I mean, on and on and on. And I will say that a lot of those problems are as much from the insulin that they take as it is from the sugar, from the, from the diabetes. Uh, insulin is actually used as an aging marker in some species. In other words, the higher the resting insulin, the shorter the lifespan. And, and that's documented in some species like flies and yeast. Now, I'm sure it's that way in people too, but nobody wants to document it because we don't want to hear it. You know, it's, it's because insulin is that cure-all, right? I mean, for diabetics. So we generally think of insulin as something that's good for the most part because it helps diabetics. But the truth is, any excess insulin in the body over and above what the body really needs is deadly to the body. So we want to do anything that we can to produce insulin production on an everyday basis. Does that make sense? Uh, and now the typical American diet or the typical horse diet is, well, Americans get up and they have donut for breakfast usually. <laughs> or they have a piece of toast or cereal or something like that. And of course we feed our horses a grain diet usually. Um, and oftentimes a sweet feed like you mentioned earlier. And often, or pelleted feed. If you have insulin resistance, you're probably on some kind of low carb diet. So it's probably a pellet of some sort. Uh, it may be still have corn in it. May still have corn in it, which is not good at all for an insulin resistant horse or any horse or any anything, in my opinion, because it's sugar. Corn is the same as sugar. Uh, you're probably going to see less corn in our feeds in the future because corn's so expensive right now because they're making alcohol out of it, which is a joke. It makes no sense to me, forgive me. But uh, it's just going to drive your feed prices sky high and we're not going to be able to afford meat and you know we, we need to be looking at some other alternative energy sources, in my opinion. Forgive me. But anyway, um, our sugars. You know, we eat that first sugar meal of the day and up goes the, the sugar. You know, we have a sugar high shortly thereafter, right? And you have a donut for breakfast and you have a sugar high. A horse has a, a grain meal, whether it's corn or pellets or, or whatever, and up goes the sugar. Well, when that sugar peaks, the, the, the body has to handle it. It has to handle that sugar. So what it does, it, it produces insulin. The pancreas produces insulin to take care of that sugar. Okay, do you understand that? Okay. Well, that, can you see how when that insulin's produced, it's not good for the body? Insulin actually affects the kidneys, affects the, the nerves themselves. It's, it's just, it's, it's toxic. It's literally toxic to the body. It serves its purpose to get the sugar out, but you don't want more, any more than you have to, okay? 
But when you have a sugar high, what do you have a little later? About 10.30 in the morning. A crash, a sugar low. I know we've talked about this a little bit earlier in some of the other lectures, but it's critical that you understand you don't want sugar highs and sugar lows because sugar lows, the body's starving to death and it does everything it can to get the sugar back up you know, to where it can maintain its energy. But when you have a sugar low, you get the adrenal glands that kick in. And you get the, and there you have, you know, that's your glands that handles your stress. That's the gland that's involved in your Cushing's problems mostly. But the body is in a critical state when it has a sugar low. Now, with their horses, that's usually about what 10:30 in the morning or so. For us, it's about 10:30 in the morning. We go to the, um, if you work a job, you go have a break, and you usually have a high fructose corn syrup soft drink to get it back up. Right? And that's even worse. The fructose is not as it is sugar too, worse sugar than corn. But we can see they can put fructose in soft drinks, they just can't put all the sugar and stuff because it, it's not quite as regulated. Fructose is bad for you. Blows my mind. You look at these um, milk containers, these chocolate milk things, and you think you're drinking milk, it's fructose. Most of your things today are fructose. They're awful. But anyway, so you have a sugar low, your body's starving to death, you might be trying to train your horse mid-morning, and you imagine how you, you know how you feel with a sugar low. Can you imagine working with your horse when he has a sugar low and trying to get anything accomplished? But anyway, the body kicks back in to get the sugar back up again. Another sugar high, more insulin produced. A little later, sugar low again. Body starving to death again. Another sugar high. So you have the sugar high, sugar low, sugar high, sugar low all day long. Just from that first meal of the day or maybe a candy bar sometime during the day or a soft drink during the day or whatever for us. And just by living day after day after day with these sugar highs and sugar lows, we wear the pancreas out, we wear the adrenal glands out, and we literally wear our bodies out or our horses out just from living. So along comes a little stress of some sort, whether it's a change in weather, a change in the grass or something like that, and they have no reserves left. You know, they're wore out just from living. And so what are the weak links in a horse usually? Feet, laminitis, um, gut, colic, those are pretty, I mean, a horse is only as healthy as his gut, and they're pretty sensitive gut-wise. Does this make sense? Up to the, anything that we can do to avoid that, the better off we're going to be as far as insulin resistance. And that even ties into hypothyroidism and even Cushing's, um, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, these sugar highs and sugar lows are just awful. I mean, they're, they're awful for our horses. Now, what, what are the alternatives? You know, we talked about corn being a problem, so you definitely want to stay away from corn. And in fact, any inflammatory situation that you might have going on with your horse, you definitely want to stay away from corn. Because sugars, which has the same glycemic index as corn, uh, I mean, corn has the same glycemic index as sugar. In other words, a tablespoon of sugar equals a tablespoon of corn. I mean, they're identical as far as effects on the body. Uh, they're, they, are, uh, they feed the inflammatory process. Sugars feed inflammation, so keep that in mind. So we, we, instead of sugar highs and sugar lows, we'd rather have this kind of effect as far as sugars goes. Now, how do you do that? Well, one thing is with fats, good fat. You know, if you, every every feed that we give ourselves in the morning, we should have a good a good fat for breakfast too. We used to a long time ago. My grandparents and yours probably had bacon for breakfast every morning. 
It was good for you. I don't care what anybody says, you know. I, I was giving a presentation one time at Kiwanis just a couple months ago, and um, I was talking about this to the to the group, a pretty large group, and it was my peers in my hometown, and I didn't know what they were going to do to me because they really don't know what I do anyway. They, they just think I'm a vet. But... Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, after it was all, I really got their attention because, I mean, most people are on medications. I mean, most of these guys, 50, 60, 70 years old, they're on multiple medications, just like most women. I mean, do you realize the average woman over 47 is on seven different medications? Blows my mind. I mean, it's unreal. There you go, yeah. But anyway, this guy comes up afterwards. A lot of people come up and they're asking me questions and this and that, and this one guy says... um, he says, I've had, uh, no, he says, let me ask you this, is toast and eggs and bacon good for breakfast? And I said, well, in my opinion, you know, yeah. I've compared to the alternatives today, all the commercial junk. And he said, well, good. I'm 93 years old, and that's what I've had every day. <laughs> Got through that. But, you know, our, our food processors have made eating food so easy that they've pretty much killed us. And the way they've done it is through uh, fats. They've made our fats uh, processed. They've made them, they call it hydrogenated. They've chemically altered them uh, so that they can sit on the shelf for a long time. Even our snacks. You know, we used they used to use coconut in snacks. And then along came all this negative publicity about coconuts. Uh, well, they got palm oil and coconut oil mixed up in the process, of the, and we think that coconut oil is bad for you now, the general public does. Coconut oil is wonderful, wonderful. It, it, we were much healthier when we, when we were using coconut oil in our snack foods instead of the junk that they're putting today. Uh, it's a great source of omega-9. It has some other um, essential fatty acids in it, and it's pretty stable in high heat. So we should really be cooking with coconut oil, too. Um, one of our oils that we use in our products actually has a little coconut oil in it as well for the omega-9s versus flax. It's just omega-3 pretty much and has a real tendency to go rancid pretty quickly. Um, But anyway, fats are good for us, uh, but we've got to have the right fats. Now, we all think if you're insulin resistant or if you have a weight issue or whatever, you need a low-fat diet, right? I mean, how many think that or have heard that? Absolutely. I mean, that's what the media tells us. We need a low-fat diet. The truth is, the only reason a low-fat diet works in America is because you're getting less of the bad fats. You know, we truly need a high-fat diet as a diabetic or as an insulin resistant or even even our horses. They need a high-fat diet. But what they need are the good fats. Give me just a minute. They need the good fats. You know, they need the fats that aren't processed. The hydrogenated fats are killing us. You know, they are unbelievable what they do to the body. And we just make a point to show you that somehow, how critical this is. And so that you never, ever take it for granted again. You should look at every every snack that you eat. And we're all guilty not to do that. But look at it, and if it says hydrogenated or partially hydrogenated on it, you need to throw it away and try not to eat it. Because every cell in the body is surrounded by fat. The brain is 60, 70, 80% fat. The spinal cord is mostly fat. Every cell, every single cell has a membrane around it, you know, that protects it and holds everything in there. And this membrane is made up of what we call phospholipids, which are fats. Okay? And they're lined up like, if you can imagine, a cross-section of a cell 
looking at it under, uh, under an electron microscope. These fat, this lining around this cell, these fat cells are like a like cross ties, like that uh, train that used to run around the Christmas tree. You know, it's perfectly lined up. And these fat cells, you can actually see them vibrating. They're alive. And they're moving nutrients into the cell and getting waste products out of the cell Good when they're in good, healthy conditions. They're, they're alive. They're vibrating. When you look at a cell that has been exposed to what I call renegade fats or these hydrogenated processed fats, they're dead. They're not vibrating. And not only are that, but they're, they're not lined up anymore perfectly. They're just like they were dumped out of a dump truck. I mean, it's, it's like making every cell in the body like a little plastic ball. Literally, it's plasticizing the cells, these junk fats. And it's critical that we understand this, especially as a horse owner, not to mention our own health, but especially as a horse owner because all of the fats that are going into our horse feeds today. I've probably been told to put your horse on a high-fat diet or maybe one of these weight builder products if you had a hard keeper. But if you look at the kind of fats in those, they're vegetable oil. And I promise you, if they don't say that it's not hydrogenated, it's hydrogenated. It's already been processed and chemically changed because that's the only thing that is about the only kind of oil that your commercial manufacturers can afford to put in the feed that's stable enough that's going to sit in the feed room for a couple weeks. See, that's why they do it in people food, because it's more stable. It doesn't go rancid. It doesn't break down in heat or with time. But can you see how they really want to have to use those in horse feeds? And that's what they put in there. And and they're also refined. In other words, the goodies been filtered out of them and sold somewhere else. Your natural phospholipids, your natural vitamin E's, your natural sterols, it's been filtered out and sold somewhere else. And so they have a cheap product that's left over. Manufacturers like cheap. They put it in the food, gives it the high fat content, but it's hydrogenated processed fat. And that's what's in most of your commercial feeds. I mean, I don't know any of them that has not has fat that's not hydrogenated. Now, they could put fat that's not hydrogenated. They could use good oils and so on, but they're expensive, you know, because... The manufacturers have already made their money by filtering the stuff out and selling it elsewhere so they can buy the, the, the cheap stuff readily available. It's hard to find good fats. Does that make sense? And so that's critical with these hypothyroid insulin-resistant horses to stay away from that. But what are your options? That's the problem. You know, what are your options as a horse owner? Because we've all been told to get these high-carb, I mean, these low-carb diets Maybe pelleted feeds, senior feeds, have a lot of fats in them usually. But again, it's processed fat. It's hydrogenated. It, if it's just vegetable oil, 99% of the time it's just, it is hydrogenated. So what is the option feed-wise? I'm going to share that with you in just a little bit. But commercial feeds is something we've got to be really, really careful with. The less corn, the better. And pellets, my goodness, I don't know any horse that eats anything that's cooked in the wild. Yeah. You know, I mean, I always keep going to see what Mother Nature has to offer. And pellets, what goes in to make them is not what comes out the other end. You know, a lot of the enzymes are gone. A lot of the, uh, the, the processing itself, the cooking, if you would, of that pellet takes a lot of the nutrients out of it. You understand that? That makes sense, too? So pellets, and, and they can put just about whatever they want in a pellet, as long as the 
guaranteed analysis comes out right. You know, so much protein, so much fat, so much whatever. Um, so, uh, feed is a major issue. In fact, most of the problems that we have with insulin resistance and Cushing's and um, what's the other one we're talking about? Hypothyroidism. <laughs> Hypothyroidism. We can fix with diet alone. And um, before we're over today, we're going to show you how to do that. Um, and it's critical that we have some understanding of what the options are out there. Okay, so let's look at com- one other aspect of commercial feed that bothers us, that bothers me, is no grain today is complete as far as vitamins and nutrients. You agree with that? I mean, our soils have just been farmed to death. Um, all they're putting back in is fertilized. Uh, the vitamins are pretty much gone. I was talking, mentioned this to a guy yesterday, and he said, yeah, I saw this video one time on this guy up in Alaska who was growing cabbages. And it was way back in the boonies up in Alaska. They've never been farmed, I guess. But anyway, these cabbages are this big, he said, you know, compared to our little things. But um, our soils are definitely deficient. I don't care if it's with the soil that they grew the grain on to make the feed or the food that they grew for you. Uh, it's just not in there. So they have, we have to add vitamins back to food today. You know, we, 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 have, we need to take vitamins ourselves unless you're eating organic food. And even there, you know, you may not get enough. But we all need vitamins and our horses need vitamins and they need enzymes and they need probiotics and all this great stuff. But with commercial feeds, they kind of have to, to, to start somewhere in the formulation. In other words, they might say, well, if we have a thousand pound horse and he eats five pounds a day, then he's going to get all the vitamins and minerals and everything that he needs by us adding those vitamins and minerals. Does that make sense? They have to go somewhere with it. Well, if you have an easy keeper, a fat, overweight, hypothyroid, cresty neck horse, what's the first thing you're going to do? Cut his feet. Going to cut back on his feet. That's what you're told to do. It's just a common sense thing to do. So you might be feeding your guy only one pound a day. Can you see how he's getting one-fifth of the vitamins and enzymes and everything else that he needs? Okay? So... That's a major problem. If they're not getting the vitamins and the minerals, that's the spark plugs and the, the, the real functionality of the body. They're involved in every process in the body, you know, moving the nutrients in, getting the junk out, the whole works. So, and it negatively affects the thyroid even more so that the thyroid, the metabolism is all messed up even more and they just become more fat and overweight and crusty neck. And sooner or later, hypothyroid. Does that make sense? And then on the other end, a horse that eats a lot, he's going to be getting a lot more. So he may have get out of balance just from the minerals alone or the vitamins, you know, because they're all related. I mean, vitamin E is related to vitamin C. Zinc's related to copper. Is that, I mean, it's critical that the horses get the nutrients, but they just can't get it in a prepared, commercially available food, in my opinion. Most horses, unless you have the perfect horse. And not, I mean, I have the perfect horse, but I don't know about the <laughs> Just kidding. She is pretty perfect. Um, but uh, what I found is the answer is, is and some of the carbs, you've all heard of low-carb diets, and you might look at me like I'm crazy for this, but oats have been phenomenal for these overweight, crusty-necked horses. Just oats. 
plain old oats. I mean, I've got thousands upon thousands of forces that oats alone have greatly helped. Greatly helped. But oats, again, like any other grain, don't have the vitamins and nutrition that they need as far as you know, minerals and vitamins and so on. So you still have to add a vitamin mineral supplement to those oats. But the beauty of it is you can feed whatever amount of oats that horse needs and just add the supplement to the top of it to make sure they get the vitamins, minerals, and enzymes and so on. Does that make sense? And then you can put the good fats on those oats to make sure that they get the good fats. And I say fats, we use an oil form, but you can put the good fats on top of those oats. And it works incredibly well. I mean, y'all can leave. That's what you need. I mean, that's, that's the answer. I mean, that is a major part of the, of the problem right there is just oats. Yes, let me answer some questions. Go ahead. Okay, I'm getting to that. Good fats versus hydrogenated processed fats. There's all kinds of other fats. Flax is a fat. Okay, it's omega-3. There's fatty acids and then there's just fats. But fatty acids are really important that we look at those, at the aspect of that fat when we give them fat. And what we found that works much better than anything is a crude, unrefined, unprocessed soybean oil. The key is crude, unrefined, unprocessed, and not hydrogenated. Because there's plenty of cheap soybean oils out there. But again, all the goodies filtered out and sold somewhere else. There's plenty of cheap you know, corn oils. My goodness, never give a horse corn oil the same thing. It's refined, it's processed. You know, it'll make the coat nice and shiny for a while, but it literally creates a much more of a serious problem down the road and leads to just calories, but it's also hydrogenated and processed. Wheat germ is probably um, second best, in my opinion. Uh, I still like the soybean better. Uh, we've even been able to find a genetically modified organism free source. Now, that's not a big deal to a lot of people, but some people, it's, you know, the jury's still out on it, and, and a lot of people have concerns about genetically modified grains. Um, so we've been able to actually find a source where we actually have someone going in the field and certifying that the seeds that they're planting are not genetically modified and watching it through the whole process. But the key is crude, unrefined, unprocessed. Another source of fat that you often see out here is rice bran. Now the problem, in my opinion, with rice bran is that it actually has been shown to leach calcium out of the bones. Now they stabilize it, right? They stabilize it. Most people, when you think of stabilize something, you think of so it doesn't go rancid. But what they're stabilizing it with is more calcium. So, I mean, it pulls calcium out of the bones, but they have extra calcium in it to put it back in. It just doesn't make sense to me. You know, it just doesn't seem like a good product to use because of that reason. Now, yes, it is a high-fat product, but it just is not my favorite because of that aspect of it. It pulls calcium out of the bones. But when you look at fats, you do need to make sure that they're, that they're not hydrogenated, they're not processed, but yet... The beauty there is, if they're not, they are probably, if they haven't been refined with all the goodie filtered out, the natural vitamin E's, which is a natural preservative, the natural sterols, which also helps preserve all the natural stuff is still in there to help preserve it. Does this make sense? Have I lost you? Let me answer his question. Yeah. What ratio of fat do you apply to uh, the rest of the uh, the, um, 
excellent question. What ratio of fat and what ratio of, of the vitamins and minerals and so on and so forth. That's kind of what I've spent the last 10 years working on. And um, we've come up with a pretty good solution. Actually have a, I'll give you a quick commercial and that's it. We actually have a product called Just Add Oats that you add to those oats to make them complete as far as the vitamins and enzymes and minerals. And then we also have a fatty source, an oil that we have two versions, H2 oil, hoof and health oil, that takes two ounces a day for whatever amount of oats the horse needs. Half a scoop of the Just Add Oats, two ounces of the H2 oil, and that's the diet. And then the GMO-free version is called Weight Check. That was my question. Yeah, it's called Weight Check. It's actually a little higher version than the H2 oil. It's It's just... you know, if you look at the analysis, there's not any any difference, truthfully. But because it's GMO-free, and uh, it just seems to be working just a smidgen better than the other one overall. But two ounces a day and a half a scoop of the Just Add Oats with whatever amount of oats your horse needs, and you got it made. Now, the next question is, how much oats does your horse need? Yeah, there you go. Bing, bing, bing. So <laughs> Um, whatever amount of sweet feed or grain or whatever you're feeding now, what I tell people to do is just gradually switch to that same volume of oats over a two-week period. And then you can either adjust up or adjust down depending on that horse's individual needs. Some horses just don't... Um, you know, that's just a good starting point, but there's no magical number as to how much to give them. The books say 1% to 1.5% of their body weight a day, but every horse is different, you know? So I just start with the same volume that you're feeding now, and then you can adjust up or adjust down. Now the other question is, well, what about oats and older horses and teeth and this and that? Why, you know, you see oats in their manure after they well, if they have the right enzymes and the right probiotics added to those oats, you're not going to see that. And even if you did, it's probably just a few hauls. The goodies been digested, I'm sure, from those oats. So. Yep, uh, let's see. Lady in the very back had a question, and I'll get yours, okay? Yep. Well, that's a good point. The only reason we're using the oats here is to get the supplements in them, truthfully. But because the other option is just hay or just grass. And you see, they're not going to get what they need from just the hay or just the grass. It, so our grounds are ruined, our hays are full of fertilizer, there's no nutrition there. You know, there's obviously some, but not all the other vitamins and so on that they need. And that's, uh, so it's critical that they get it somehow. And that's been the best, most easiest way and the most balanced way to get it in there. Excellent question. Thank you. Yep, let me answer this question. Yep. My older horse is All right, right. Right now, his bad teeth are not very good at all right, right. now. And at some point in time, he's right. going to have to be on something else. Oats will do it. Oats will still do it. He'll still do it. With the oil, with the good fat, and with the vitamins and enzymes in that, he will still get it. While we're mentioning teeth, let me mention the biggest problem I see with teeth in your older horses is the incisors. It's just so critical that you understand. If you look at your horse and he has a smiley face in his teeth and his incisors, he's not going to get any nutrition from anything. And most, a lot of your veterinarians don't even recognize that, truthfully. Because they chew from side to side. You know, they, and if you have a smiley face, there's no way they can move their teeth side to side. See, I mean, the best 
person I found to work on teeth is a equine dentist. I don't care if they're a veterinarian or not, but somebody that truly knows the teeth. And blows my mind all the, the, the good old boy veterinary programs right now trying to outlaw dentists. They are. I mean, a lot of states you can't even touch a horse unless you're a veterinarian. Well, by golly, you know, they just know more than we do. And who wants to do it anyway? Golly, I can't imagine. I don't want to do it. Let them do it. Okay, yeah. I have um, a protein pasta. They're prone to insulin resistant hypothyroidism right. from their genetics. He has that fine metabolic syndrome. Right. Has found him severely. We've gone through the laminitis. We're on the upswing of the recovery phase of that. But what will oats do to his carbohydrate intake? Absolutely well. perfect for him. And I'd say I don't care. Just because you're getting the vitamins, the minerals right, you're getting the fats right versus the commercial feeds, you're getting what he needs. And I, I don't mean, I've, I've had dozens upon dozens of them. And this is, this is the diet to prevent the problems and to help treat the problem. But there's one other thing that's missing, so let me, let me carry on just a little bit here because I've got to cover a lot with hypothyroidism and so on too. And it all ties together and I'll probably answer most of your questions anyway before it's over with because <laughs> I've heard them all. But um, with um, the other thing you got to look at in these horses is the minerals. I mean, truth, truthfully, not just the, the basic minerals like your calcium, potassium, and magnesium, and so on. Somebody ringing? <laughs> um, the uh, the minerals and the salt blocks as well. That is. I know some of y'all have heard me preach this over and over again, but we should outlaw salt mineral blocks for horses because they cannot get what they need from a from a salt or a mineral block fast enough for when they need it. Most, I mean, it's just they're not liquors. You know, they're not liquors. They're grazers. You ever see a horse chewing on a salt block? I mean, I've had horses just chew the whole block in the first day. You know, that tells me something. Wouldn't it tell you something? Maybe they're looking for something that they're, that's not in there, but they think it's in there and they're trying to get it. I mean, if you take that one step further, there's probably nutrients today, minerals today. I know there's nutrients today that we hadn't discovered 10 years ago. And there's going to be nutrients and minerals 10 years from now that we don't know about today. So if we don't know about them, how can we put them in a block? How can we even put them in anything? You know, so we got to keep looking to what's the most natural rather than man-made. In fact, most of your man-made products are just, they're based on some pretty good research, but it's pretty outdated. You know, the RVA, Recommended Daily Allowance, that hadn't been updated since 1987 in a horse. So we only have a good idea what they need. And then as time goes on, if we come up with new things, if it's not part of the routine, the normal of what everybody thinks we have to have, we can't even put it in there anyway, legally. I do all the time, but you know, but, but I'm different. But anyway, it's it's um, it's a problem. Our salt blocks and our mineral blocks, because their needs change hour to hour to hour. The biggest cause of laminitis, in my opinion, is salt blocks and mineral blocks, not the block itself, but because they can't get what they need when they need it fast enough. For instance, and this is critical that you understand this, horses. Their needs change hour to hour. And I guarantee you, you'll agree with me that most of the horse's problems occur when the weather changes, right? I mean, the colic, the frost, springtime, something. When there's a major weather change is when they have problems. Now, 
that's barometric pressure changes as well. Uh, the grass changes during the weather changes. You know, it draws the sugars up. It draws the, uh, if, for instance, let's just think about springtime since that's where we are right now. We have horses that have been eating hay all winter long. Hay that was heavily fertilized because that's what the farmers make it grow with, right? Full of fertilized, maybe more as much fertilized as nutrition. The nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus that we talked about earlier is fertilized. So, And if you'll check your good hays for potassium, most of them have a high amount of potassium. I was talking to a guy a while ago, and he said his, his potassium and his hay was off the chart. Most of it's between at least 12% and on up to as much as 25% potassium. That's a lot of potassium. But it's what's in the fertilizer, right? Nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. Well, potassium is an issue in horses. It's a problem in horses, excess potassium. It's even already a genetic problem in your quarter horses with your HYPP syndrome. If they get too much potassium, they die. So if horses in general get too much potassium in a short period of time, either through the hay or in the springtime, say when the grass is changing and it's wanting to grow and it wants to bring that water up into the plant, it brings it through the fertilizer, bringing that potassium up into the grass, horses out grazing, he's been on high potassium hay all winter, he's grazing and the weather changes even more, the grass changes, it's full of potassium, he gets an excess overload of potassium. If he can't balance that excess potassium with a big gulp of free choice loose salt and minerals, then that potassium changes the acidity in the gut, changes the pH in the gut. You change the gut rapidly in a horse, what do you have? A catastrophe. You know, colic, laminitis. Laminitis starts in the gut. You know, it's because of bacteria change in the gut. It's almost like an endotoxic type shock where there's toxins produced in the body and it affects the circulation in the feet and on and on and on. But it all starts in the gut. So the key is not your blocks because they can't lick fast enough to get what they need with those blocks, but free choice loose salt and minerals. Free choice. Now the problem with most free choice loose salt and minerals is they're man-made. There's so much of this, there's so much of that, based on those recommended daily allowances that are pretty outdated. And what happens is, you know, again, there's minerals we hadn't discovered yet, probably, so how can we put it in there? And some of these micronutrients might be as important as the big ones. We just hadn't discovered it yet, like rubidium. Selenium. You know, selenium, for instance, we used to think of selenium as just a toxin. Now we know how valuable it is today as an antioxidant and health-wise and nutrition and mares and babies and everything else. But even selenium, it's critical that we use an organic source of selenium versus selenite or selenate. Now, those are big fancy names, but that's what's in most of your selenium supplements or selenite or selenate, and those are waste products of copper mining often full of heavy metals. So, you know, you just got to be careful with your supplements. And, and we don't know any better unless you... I mean, it's taken me years to figure this out that most of our minerals today are junk. They're other industries' leftovers. Calcium carbonate's an industry leftover. You know, most of your uh, minerals. So we just keep going back to what Mother Nature has to offer. Cesium. Let me mention cesium. Cesium is great for cancer. If you know anybody that has cancer, they need to do some searching on cesium on the internet because it's tremendous. C e s i u m. Cesium. It's a, a mineral. 
But, um, you know, what about these micronutrients? You know, we've, we have found that the key to good health in these horses, another link to this hypothyroid, insulin-resistant, laminitic, Cushing's even, horse, is the minerals themselves. And the minerals that we found are, um, they came about by mistake, actually. I kept trying to find where all these heavy metals were coming from in our horses because we did a lot of hair analysis, and I'd find lead, aluminum, cadmium, arsenic, all these contaminants that shouldn't be there. And I even did them in people and found them in people. But um, anyway, I finally found, I was driving me crazy where they were coming from. I finally found a friend of a friend of a friend who found a veterinarian who already had the research, knew a veterinarian. And his research was that our minerals were full of heavy metals. And he actually led me to a source of mineral from the desert that used to be the ocean way back when that um, you know has every mineral known to man in it. And I'm sure micronutrients we hadn't even discovered yet because it used to be the ocean way back when. So this mineral, we feed free choice. Um, in fact, let me tell you how critical this mineral was to him. He's a pretty big veterinarian in Kentucky, but every time he'd try to publish the information, he'd get called to the dean's office because of all the politics involved from the fertilizer companies, the mineral companies, and so on and so forth. Finally reached a point where he was telling someone, talking to so many people on the side because he couldn't publish it, that they actually, the university put him in the back office back where, back where he couldn't even talk to people anymore because of all the politics involved. It's mind-boggling. But the horses, remember the syndrome a few years ago in Kentucky when all the mares were aborting? Yeah. And they lost like 60%. Now, what do we think the cause of that is? What, what were we told the cause? Caterpillars. Remember that? Yeah. Caterpillars. He will look you right in the eye and he'll tell you caterpillars has nothing to do with it. He said, it's the minerals, it's the salt blocks and the minerals. When I took away their salt block and their free choice and the minerals that they were getting and replaced it with a natural source of salt and mineral, they stopped aborting. And that's the mineral he led me to. Our version is called Red Cow. But anyway, it's critical. It's critical. It's the single most healthy thing you can do for your horse, in my opinion, is throw away your salt blocks and mineral blocks and just let them have free access to salt and mineral. You know, a good natural salt and mineral. Does that make sense? Okay, let me answer a few questions and then we'll go to the next phase. Yes. Well, flax in general, the, it's omega-3, and you know, actually about a third of the people can't even tolerate flax. They don't have the enzymes to break it down. I think the jury's still out on horses. We haven't got that far yet. But in horses, it is a great source of omega-3. My only concern with flax is that it goes rancid so easy. It starts to break down so easy and it very, very quickly, so it's not very stable, in other words. Sea kelp, excellent source of mineral. Um, we just found the uh, pristine, used to be ocean, you know, way back zillions of years ago, a better source of mineral than the current ocean because the current ocean has a lot of mercury in it. I'm not saying kelp does, but, you know, there's a lot of mercury in all the oceans. I don't care, the North Atlantic, there's mercury there, lots of it. Yes, ma'am. Really quick question. When you said that an overload of potassium, you know, adjusts, changes the pH, you know, mm-hmm. health, whatnot, what, isn't that uh, when the body, when they cramp up? Yes, it could wait, be. Is that, is that the same thing, though? Too well, much potassium? That too much potassium can cause all kinds of problems. I mean, it can even cause changes, it can cause arrhythmias in the heart. Okay. I mean, it's potassium is one of the most critical electrolytes when it comes to emergency medicine. I mean, if you're a nurse, you probably know that. 
it's a, it's just a real problem. But in the horse, it's because it's primarily changing the pH in the gut. The question was about potassium and so on. Okay, I want to answer everybody's questions, but I want to cover a little bit more on hypothyroidism if I can. Let me answer, talk about that, and maybe it'll come up. One more. Uh huh. If they're fat, overweight, crusty neck, they're insulin resistant. That's the cheapest way I know. Oh, I know there's blood. T- I know there's blood tests and everything, but if. But you can spend a whole lot of money on all these tests, and if they're fat, overweight, crusty neck, and they have fat prongs on their butt, and they, you know, they're they're insulin resistant. I promise you. Mm-hmm. Ours does, yeah. Ours does, yeah. It's all there. No, you have to add the oil separate. Right. 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 Okay, now, 1619 in the back of the building. Let me talk about hypothyroidism just a minute. I think it'll probably come out your answer. Hypothyroidism, it's all tied in the same complex, okay? The sugar high, the sugar low, and so on. Eventually, wears the thyroid out too, wears the adrenal glands out, and so on and so forth. So they're all the same complex. But hypothyroidism, what's the first thing most veterinarians do when you have a hypothyroid horse? Put them on thyroid medicine. Now let me just give you a little different perspective on this. Okay, if you ta- if you have a thyroid that's not functioning properly, and if you supplement the body with a synthetic hormone that replaces that thyroid hormone, what do you think that does to the original thyroid? Shuts it down. You got it. And most people don't understand that. But that thyroid medication is a negative feedback mechanism for the thyroid. When you, uh, it actually tells the thyroid, well, there's enough of this stuff in the system, so I need to stop producing, and it literally destroys the thyroid. That's why you're told once you put them on it, you need to keep them on it. Well, can you think with me just a minute that that thyroid might be responsible for more than just producing a synthetic thyroid medication? I mean, the thyroid's a pretty major organ. It's responsible for your metabolism in your body. Not to mention a whole lot of other things. So everything you can do, everything you can do to avoid shutting it down would be important, wouldn't it? I would think so. Of course, you want the effects of the thyroid, but why not look at it from a different angle and try to provide the nutrition for the thyroid to function better to begin with? Does that make sense? And you can do that. You know, with the the, what we talked about earlier, the vitamins, the minerals. You know, I can blows my mind how even your MDs today have no clue about vitamins and minerals. You know, they just want to give you a drug instead of focus, focusing on the nutrition. It's it, in the same way with veterinarians. We have nutrition training, but it's on making feeds and so on. We've totally gotten away from using nutrition as healing. And and you know, anything that we do to interfere with the body, such as your thyroid medications, the body has to handle anything synthetic. Anything along those lines, the, the body has to handle versus providing the nutrition for it to handle itself. See, we want to help the body heal. We want to promote the body, give it what it needs nutritionally, rather than just take over for the body with a drug or a medication that might lead to some other side effect. And everything that's not natural in the body has some kind of side effect. Everything. And some of them are pretty severe. Just watch these commercials on TV. 
Yeah. And while we're on that, I mentioned this yesterday. You know, all these Viagra and Cialis commercials and all. You know, the reason we have those problems today is because of the fats in the diet. The bad fats. Most of your, most of your hormonal issues are fat related. It's the fats that are involved in these hormone productions. Of course, the pesticides and so on have a factor too, but if you have any hormonal issue at all, you've got to get these fats right. Get rid of these junk fats and get the good fats going. But anyway, the whole com- everything that we talked about nutritionally will help a hypothyroid horse. Now, there are some things that you need to do if he's already on um, thyroid medication. You just don't want to just take him off just like that. You want to slowly wean him off of it as you give them the supplements to get the thyroid producing again. And we've you know, put together a product we call Critical Hypothyroid Overweight Insulin Resistant Formula. But it's designed to help the thyroid function again. Now there's some minerals that, that are very important in that. One of them is magnesium. You've probably heard of that, right? So this salt and mineral that we were talking about earlier, we do have a version that has a high magnesium content to it as well. It's the same salt and mineral that we were talking about from the desert, but it does have extra magnesium added to it for to help kind of get them over the hump. Um, it's not an easy thing to get the thyroid functioning again, but I can't think of any horse that we haven't been able to help nutritionally get the thyroid functioning again. In fact, most horses we've been able to get off of thyroid medication by providing the micronutrients to get the thyroid functioning again. So hypothyroidism is not as bad as you might think. It's just a matter of giving the body what it needs, getting the feed right, getting the right fats, and it's amazing what you can do. Usually three, four months. A tub of our product... You need to change the diet and get the salt and minerals right and so on as the basis, but that needs to be for every horse anyway. But then the extra supplement, um, you boost them to get them through that phase. See, we've got the basic stuff, and then we we have a hoof check, then we have a health check, joint check, hypothyroid form, things like that to kind of get them over the hump. But the key is get them right to start with, get them over the hump, but get them right to start with while you're doing it. Does that make sense? Okay. Are you yes. saying this product is temporary and you just, yes. what do you do, blood draws just to... Just when you, when you're, she said, she was asking if this is temporary to add to their diet. Yes, it is. It won't hurt them long term, but you know, when once you, and she's asking about blood tests to check and so on, and those are all well and good, but to me, it's, it's if the horse is losing weight, his crest is going away, he's looking better, that's even a better indicator than the blood work. Because okay. blood is, um, I mean, Obviously, how you how the horses feel, feels mentally, looks good. That, that's better than blood work, in my opinion. Yes. What about chromium? What are your thoughts? Chromium is excellent, and that's part of you know part of our supplements. We have the natural chromium that's in the red cow that I was talking about, but then also uh, we do have added chromium to the uh, hypothyroid formula. Chromium, uh, selenium is important. Uh, there's different kinds of chromium as well, but the key there is. Um, uh, a natural source of chromium. Yep. Yes, ma'am, right there. How do you balance that with grazing? And our concern is after we change the diet and start letting them graze, which is Right. Well, how do, did you all hear the question? How do you handle that with grazing? The thing about grazing is they're not going to get a lot. They're going to get what they don't need oftentimes from the grass, like the fertilizers and so on, the potassium and so on. But... Um, 
when the spring starts, the key is having this loose salt and mineral out in the pasture. I mean, at all times. Rain doesn't even hurt it. Just hang, put it in a bucket and make sure they have free access to it so they can balance the minerals, the major minerals, the potassium and so on that they're going to get through the grass. You know, I personally don't feel like sugars that we maybe have read about are as critical sugars in the grass because they're, you know, horses designed to eat grass and the sugars, we're not adding sugar to the fields or anything to make them grow better. It's just those doggone fertilizers. I think the fertilizers are a much more critical issue than the changes in the sugar in the grass. So we have a natural factor, not fertilizer. Good. We've got a couple of insulin-resistant horses. No. Now, I mean, if you've had a laminitic situation in the past from springtime and so on, I mean, I don't have a problem with grazing muzzles to start with. But, you know, I, I think horses were made to eat grass. You just kind of get them, got to get them back to normal to start with before you just, you know, blow it all out of proportion with too much grass too quick. So, yes, ma'am, in the very back. Excellent question. Beet pulp, think about it logically for just a minute. It's mostly fiber, okay? I mean, it's all fiber. It has, beets are very high in sugar, okay? Um, now, the pulp itself supposedly, you know, molasses free and all this now, but, but beets are a pest, or beets are a root. It's a byproduct of the root industry. They use a lot of pesticides. Roots accumulate pesticides. And it has no nutritional value, period. So, except fiber. So I'm not big on beets for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's kind of a waste of money to me because they can get the fiber from hay. You know, good from, from hay rather than just the beets. Now, it's okay to mix with and this and that, but I just don't like it. So, yes, ma'am. No. There's a whole group that thinks it's important, but I don't think horses were made to eat so tay. You know, I just, I don't, I don't the, the key is to get the sugar out of it. That's what, that just makes no sense to me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Is there any benefit to letting your horse graze, be out on pasture at night, and then putting them in a confined or dry lot during the day because of the... The, the sugars. The sugars come up into right. the leaf of the, the grass during the day and go back down into the root during the night. So if they're eating it at night, right. not getting much There is a whole group of research that says just that. However, again, I still feel like horses are made to eat grass. I think it's more something that we've overlooked, and that's the potassium more than anything. That's my personal opinion. And based on the results that I've seen, it's been phenomenal. You know. I don't focus on the sugars except the pure the corns and the molasses that's in you know the grain and that's just a lot of sugar versus a little bit of sugar in the grass and it's different kinds of sugars there's all kinds of sugars too like one sugar that we we use is arabinogalactan it's a, a glyconutrient we call it it's from the from the western larch tree I mean it's like a uh, I think we're going to find that there, there are certain sugars as time goes on that are that are essential like essential amino acids. But it's not the bulk sugars, the sugar, sugar like in molasses and corn. You know, they're actual nutrients. And they are, no question, important in communication in the cells and getting nutrients in and out. I think the grass is good from the sugars in those grasses are good for your horses, except in situations where they're already sick or they, you know, laminitic prone or whatever. Does that make sense? Kind of halfway around? 
could be beneficial to putting my dry lot during the day and putting my Research says yes. I haven't found much difference. I think it's just a matter of being logical and putting them on the grass. Okay, let me answer one more back here, and then we'll go on just a little bit more. Yep. Um, we're talking about blood tests for the hydrogen. I have a my children with three Christian sports, and the only way to determine if she really is heading down that road is a blood test. So that's one of my questions. What do you think of that? The second one is, what do you think the best treatment is to try to prolong work? Right. Well, what we talked about diet-wise, fat-wise, that's going to help prevent Cushing's as much as it helps prevent hypothyroidism, as much as it helps prevent insulin resistance, because they're all pretty much related. Um, now, Cushing's is a little bit different, to say the least. Uh, I think there's other factors involved there other than diet as far as Cushing's prevention and cause. Um, but what we talked about, we can treat Cushing's with that, too. And it, I mean, I've had been able to get several dozen horses off of, uh, dozens and dozens, not just a few, but probably closer to a hundred off of percolide and so on and so forth, just with the diet and as we're talking about today. Um, which brings up, we need to step up the Cushing's just a little bit here. Um, Cushing's, there is a whole group of holistic veterinarians that has no doubt that Cushing's is related to vaccines. I know you don't want to hear that, but um, we're over. We are good gracious. When was the last time you were vaccinated? You know, and how often do we vaccinate our horses? And this is a whole other issue, but, you know, we're vaccinated. We vaccinate everything that comes along, you know, Potomac fever, East, um, West Nile, Eastern Western encephalomyelitis, rabies, but, you know, on and on and on. And not just once a year, sometimes two or th- twice a year and, and, or more. And these vaccines, we tend to think of them and they're promoted as not having side effects. Well, folks, let me tell you, they're full of heavy metals, number one. They have mercury, they have aluminum. Mercury affects the thyroid. Aluminum affects the thyroid. If you have a hypothyroid insulin-resistant horse, you need to think about vaccinations just a little bit and give it some consideration. Back off. Now, I'm going to tell you how far we've backed off. Yeah, exactly. We, we have, let me tell you the scenario on some of our horses, for instance. We have six horses in a training barn that has a couple hundred horses in training. They have 60 stallions on the farm coming and going, mares coming and going for breeding. They're at major 60, 80, 100 horses at a show every weekend somewhere. Um, just 600 horses on the whole farm. I mean, unbelievable potential for exposure of all these horses. We have personally six of our horses there, and they've never had a vaccine a day in their life. You know, we're actually uh, going on fourth generation vaccine free, and our we have about thirty horses now. Hmm? Wow! Yeah. No West Nile. Nothing. Nothing. Never ever. Not even tetanus in the babies, and they don't get sick anymore. Now I understand. I used to make my living vaccinating horses. Where are you from? Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We have West Nile on the farm right beside us. Yeah, I mean we have West Nile on the farm right beside us. You know. But, um, and, and the thing is, I'm at the point, and I understand I used to make my living vaccinating, okay? I mean, that's what your most veterinarians do. Equine medicine is just behind small animal medicine. 
in small animal medicine, some of y'all shaking your head, you know what's happening in small animal medicine. It's becoming taboo by those that are concerned about more than money to, to vaccinate every year. You know, it's there's even been directives from the top, if you can believe it, that says that we should no longer vaccinate our animals just based on an annual basis. We should vaccinate them based on individual needs, and each individual situation should be evaluated. That's coming down from the top. Now, it's slow to change, but you can pick up any veterinary journal, any magazine, and it's the topic of discussion in small animal right now because it's a tough thing. You know, veterinarians make a lot of money on vaccines. And, and it's not that just, they just make money with I'm not saying they're money hungry, but that's we've been programmed up here for so long that that's what we need to do. But even your leading virologists out there that developed the vaccines in the first place are saying things like, well, you know, rabies vaccines probably last in seven, eight, nine, ten years. Once, they're, once they've had distemper, they probably don't even need it anymore. And so on and so forth. And yet they're kind of using their horses as guinea pigs with all these new vaccines. Just do a search on laminitis in West Nile and see what happens on the Internet. Anyone have you? You just go ahead. Go ahead. You know, it's like you're just saying that you know people giving the prescription prescription drugs, uh, you know, has effect obviously affects the body. And now you're saying the vaccines. Do you think it is uh, like you look over time and evolution that? Um, how am I trying to say? It's like it's just an evolution that their immunity to like uh, to take on like the antigen or to protect their or build up their immunity lessens over generations because of. Did you hear that? In the back, okay. Well, it sounds great in this room, isn't it? Super. Um, let me give you an example. We have mountain horses, Rocky Mountain horses. Um, these horses originated in the hills of Kentucky, not the Rocky Mountains, but the hills of Kentucky. Most of them were never vaccinated. I mean, they were never vaccinated, period, in the early days. They never had any dewormers. They, you know, they barely had feed. They were raised on strip jobs, strip mining jobs as far as grass goes. You know, they, they we had five foundation sires, and they were all still breeding in their late 30s. Wow. Okay? I believe, as you suggest, that our horses are weaker today than they used to be. For instance... These are some of the very questions that I asked myself a long time ago that made me start looking at other alternatives. What about EPM in horses? My horse died from it. Okay. Her horse died from EPM. You know, EPM, why after millions and millions, well, you know that it comes from possum manure, the protozoans that are in possum manure, um, possum fever, some call it. Why is it after millions of years where the horse and the possum have commingled together do they suddenly have a problem? You know, with leading around a possum. Why are horses allergic to flies? They're made to live in the wild, you know, and pollen and dust and hay and grass. You know, you have an allergy horse, you do blood testing, they come back allergic to everything you couldn't possibly even keep a horse away from. Just a second. But does that make sense? So, yes, I think we have created problems. And if you have children... And their vaccination age or, or grandchildren, please check into this aspect of problems from vaccines. Because I promise you, autism in children is related to vaccines. No question. Now, CDC is not going to say it. The government's not going to say it. They're denying it. But it's you just. I have cassettes of 
of conferences that I've attended with MDs that work with autism children, and I guarantee you they know it is. I was given a lecture like this one time in American Ferries Association. I only had a few minutes because I'm usually on the bottom of the list as far as speakers, and they run out of time. You know, but anyway. I wanted to make some kind of impact on these folks and I started talking about vaccines and, and autism in children and this lady jumped up and she said, please listen to this guy. I mean, she was bawling, grabbed the microphone from me and she said, I have two beautiful grandchildren. 30 days after, within 30 days after their vaccinations, they were no longer talking and they haven't spoken a word since. Before that meeting was over, there was only like 200 people there. Just I mean, other people started coming up. There were four people in that small group that had autistic children or grandchildren that they knew were directly related to vaccines. Look, I saw a commercial on TV the other night. It had um, showed a baby in a car seat, and the car seat said, "This child's chances of dying in a car accident are like one in 216,000 or something, a fatal accident." And then the next scene showed. Chances of autism, 1 in 161. Now you tell me what's going on there. Something's going on. Yes? I, I tend to agree with what you're saying, but I also wonder, um, most everybody in the room is probably in that baby boomer. We were all vaccinated. Look at the problems we have. But, uh, but we, autism, even 20 years ago when I was having my kids, you hear about autism, now it's just... Part of
Yeah. We have. What about you know what about Cushing's? Cushing's is uh, what do we have. That's the same complex. It's a, it's the same set of scenario that leads to Cushing's, except that vaccines are a major part of the issue as well, and from the heavy metals primarily in those vaccines. Um, Cushing's, the same things we talked about, will, in my opinion, treat Cushing's as well as prevent it. That's the beauty, the treatment and the prevention. You know, some things to kind of get them over the hump as far as the problem if they have it, but the prevention and the treatment for all of them, for hypothyroidism, insulin resistance, and even Cushing's is the same. It is a tumor. It is a tumor. But it's still, in my opinion, vaccine-related, and it's still... Is incredible what you can do even without the percolide when you get the diet right, when you get the minerals right, when you take some of these foreign substances out of their system. It is a tumor, though. I'll be going to my booth right now, and it is 1619, and I'll be happy to answer anybody's questions over there. Thank you all.